Thank you, Steve McCormick. You are listening to the Westminster Town Hall Forum, originating from Westminster Presbyterian Church in downtown Minneapolis. I'm Tim Hart Anderson, moderator of today's forum. Today's guest is Steve McCormick, who has just spoken on the map of hope, conservation for the real world. While the ushers collect questions for our audience here at, the, at Westminster, I would like again to thank the Nature Conservancy of Minnesota for their co-sponsorship of today's forum and the General Mills Foundation for its ongoing support of the Westminster Town Hall Forum. Mr. McCormick, if you would return to the pulpit, we will begin the questions. First question is, uh, can you talk about how land conservation and procurement of private land differs from country to country? Oh, that's a very, very good question. Um, it differs appreciably, and as I mentioned, uh, there are some countries where buying land really is not uh, buying land outright is not an option. Uh, and in those cases, w what we and others try to do is influence public agencies to uh, take steps to set aside areas and then to manage them properly. Um, fortunately, in many countries in Latin America, there are well-established and well-respected um, non-governmental organizations, as they're called, but basically equivalents of the Nature Conservancy, nonprofit conservation organizations. And they are often the most effective way of taking action in their country. Um, well, I think one of the one of the elements of uh, uh, that I mentioned earlier of the innovation, the uh, emerging innovation, and imagination is that w we and others are finding um, whatever it takes and pursuing whatever it takes to ensure that lands are set aside. And um, it differs from country to country and culture to culture. And we we just uh, blend in and tailor our approach to those given situations. Does the Nature Conservancy change its strategies or programs based on current politics? For instance, who is in the White House? What, what's the next question? <laughs> you knew no, it was coming. I, I, uh, well, no. Um, you know, I'd like to think that we, we, we are sort of the organization for all seasons, and uh, one of our, one of our uh, values is that we are... Uh, we are dedicated to collaborative solution-oriented approaches. And we have attempted to work with whatever administration is um, in at the national, state, or local level. Um, I, I, you know, we do adjust given the interests and inclinations and um, uh, political situations at the time, but fundamentally we don't change who we are or what we stand for. Several questions here ask about cooperation or competition among various environmental groups? Is there a turf consciousness among, say, the Sierra Club, Nature Conservancy, and other? That's a really good question. Um, and I have to say, in all candor, uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, there, is, there is competition and some, um, some turf uh, awareness. However, it's my outlook, and again, I see this as one of these trends of partnerships, that we're all better off. We're basically, we all are dedicated to the same thing. We may have a slightly different philosophy or outlook on how it's done, but we're basically all dedicated to the same approach. Um, I think most of the competition is driven more by concern that there is a limited amount of monetary resources from donors to go to conservation organizations. I don't believe that. I think that there is a tremendous amount of money that could be raised for all organizations and for all causes. Um, so there is more and more uh, collaboration. I would say that there is a broad spectrum um, in the environmental community. 
there are those that play a very adversarial and a fairly aggressive, aggressively adversarial role, and, th and that's appropriate. There are those like the Nature Conservancy that are uh, more collaborative in their approach. We are therefore more likely to work with those groups as partners that are closer or th within that part of the spectrum that we are on. Uh, and in that regard, I mentioned this to someone last night, one of the great things I found when I took this job is that I can go talk to the CEOs of other large international nonprofit conservation organizations, and we can collude. <laughs> uh, For-profit organizations can't collude, and we can. And rather than calling it collusion, we call it cooperation. But we, we can do that kind of thing and should do that, and we're doing more and more of that. We now have a very big partnership with the World Resources Institute. We have some emergent partnerships with Conservation International and with World Wildlife Fund. So the competition is diminishing and the collaboration is increasing. You tell us about people and projects that the Nature Conservancy is involved in here in Minnesota. We have several questions about that. I was afraid that question would come up. Um, I am um, not as familiar as I should be with our work in Minnesota. Um, we have done, I will say this, we have done the eco-regional planning work that I mentioned where we are looking at there are six or seven eco-regions that um, are, are in or touch on uh, Minnesota. And we have done the planning work to identify the places that um, we think, again, in aggregate would capture the biological diversity of those eco-regions. And we are working at much larger and larger scale. Um, we, we, the, the Minnesota uh, chapter of the Nature Conservancy is one of our oldest and strongest, and has always really been at the forefront of our work. Um, we have, I would say, though, in the evolution of the Conservancy, um, in all places, move from acquiring only small nature sanctuaries to working, again, at much larger scale. And I know, for example, the Pigeon River in the north part of the state is one of the areas we're looking at. We're looking at an entire watershed. We're also looking at uh, the integrity of the upper Mississippi watershed uh, and working, again, in, in uh, collaboration with colleagues on that. Um, so those are two of the more recent areas of emphasis that we have identified. A question about the Earth Summit held in Rio some years ago. There were great hopes that there would be a, a global environmental movement emerging from that summit, and those hopes for many environmentalists were dashed. Uh, any comments about possible efforts along those lines in the future? Yeah, well, interesting question because uh, this late August is a follow-on convention uh, being held in Johannesburg, uh, labeled. They these big groups try to get together, they can't even agree on the name of the thing, so they've called it Rio Plus Ten. Um, there is great hope that um, that will produce more of um, kind of real results than the original Rio conference did. I will say, though, that the original conference did galvanize a great deal of interest, and it stimulated, um, if not the kind of uh, widespread action that was hoped for, at least it got a number of groups doing things that they wouldn't have done otherwise. And now many of them are getting together again. Most of them are getting together again in Johannesburg. I'm going. Uh, and we're going to be talking about some specific projects rather than just ideas. And I, so I, I do think something very, very uh, specific will come out of that. You believe that high technology offers new solutions for the preservation of biodiversity? Gosh, you know, I must say that's an area that I don't have a great deal of experience. I will say that high technology does offer the ability to quickly convey information and to um, to enable organizations to learn what good things have been done. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of very imaginative things that are uh, being spawned. 
that will spread very quickly if the knowledge of those activities can be understood and adopted and, and, and modified appropriately by others. And, and, and we are very interested in creating a mechanism for getting that kind of information out to people. So I do see uh, technology being an ability, uh, a way for people to quickly understand what's being done in other parts of the world, and that, uh, that, that could lead to a very significant uh, kind of inflection point in the amount of uh, uh, imaginative works that are being done, rather than people trying to uh, continually reinvent things. Every time the World Bank or the IMF meets, there generally are a number of environmentalist action groups, militant environmentalists, uh, who make their presence known in some ways which uh, perhaps you would not agree with. Is there a place in the spectrum of, of environmentalist groups for direct, direct action or for more militant environmental action? Uh, boy, you're really pushing me out into controversial terrain. Uh, sure. I mean, I think that it's appropriate to, um, I mean, I, you know, I, one of the great things about this country is it believes that truth emerges from robust discussion and from even the most extreme opinions articulated on anything. Uh, so I think there is value in that. I do think that uh, we can say that the more aggressive groups tend to create a certain um, buttress against um, perhaps the inappropriate extension of um, economic impul uh, impulses. Um, so yeah, I, do, I think there's an appropriate role for those organizations. At the same time, I think that there is, in the end, greater likelihood of real results coming from trying to find common ground rather than trying to, um, to fight. I, I would say, and I, I'm, I say this without um, directing the observation at any group, um, I think sometimes there is too much fight over ideology and a willingness even to fall on the sword of ideology, to fight the good fight and lose 100%. Uh, it's the outlook of groups like the Nature Conservancy that um, we just should keep moving forward and that involves compromise and acceptance of other people's viewpoints and even their needs. So I, it's a legitimate debate, but fundamentally I do think there is a real value in groups um, being uh, kind of aggressively forthright in expressing their viewpoints on uh, conservation issues. Would you comment on the Nature Conservancy's Wings of the Americas program? This is a well-informed group. Uh, yeah, we started, a, um, we started a program about eight years ago uh, on the realization that because the Nature Conservancy is so very focused on preserving specific places that w w we could overlook the, uh, the needs for migratory bird species. So we created the Wings of the Americas program to ensure that we were addressing migratory bird species that many of which go from North America to South America and that, that our planning efforts and our conservation actions were addressing those needs. So it's been quite successful in that regard. You have a two-minute audience with the United Nations. What would you say? Ready? set, go. Well, I would say, again, I think one of the, the greatest contributions that all the countries of the world can make is to the viability of the future by a commitment to preserving the diversity of, of life on Earth, and that the um, quality of life for all humankind is dependent upon that, and that I would urge the United Nations to do everything that's in its power, especially through the United, the United Nations Development Program, to uh, support and to build those programs that uh, create models for, uh, for protection of that diversity.
among young people today, the issue of environmentalism and ecological devastation is a critically important one. What would you say to young people who are concerned about these issues as they grow and become responsible citizens? Well, I, you know, again, that, that's the future. I have two daughters, 14 and 12. Um, it makes me even more thoughtful about the future because they will outlast me. And um, I think it's wonderful when young people are concerned about these things. I gave a talk to my, my youngest daughters in the sixth grade, and they asked me to come in. And I thought, this could be a rambunctious group. I, they gave such rapt attention to my talk, and they were at such a deeper level of understanding than I had anticipated. I was so impressed. Uh, and so, that, again, that's something that gives me great hope, is that the schools uh, and perhaps parents are inculcating these values in kids far more than when I was growing up. And, I mean, in the end, again, if, if we are not somehow investing in our, in our future through our kids by ensuring that they do understand the importance of these places and the value of biological diversity, um, th then, then, then my hopefulness meter goes down. Um, so, kids who are interested, I would, I would applaud them and praise them, I would encourage them, whatever, whatever profession uh, or vocation they pursue, that they devote their lives to something bigger and more enduring than themselves, and that would be conservation. And a final question to this audience here in the sanctuary and in the radio uh, audience. What specific suggestions would you have for us in terms of upcoming issues facing U.S. Congress that we might respond to or encourage our legislators on? Well, the Nature Conservancy is a scrupulously nonpartisan organization. <laughs> uh, there are, um, I would say that the Endangered Species Act needs attention and should not be overlooked. There are also some um, uh, kind of off, not off un, un, unrecognized things like the Farm Bill that if um, uh, include strong conservation components could be very, very important and meaningful. Um, and as much as anything, just pay attention and be responsive and let your elected officials know how you feel. They do genuinely respond to that. Thank you, Mr. McCormick. Steve McCormick spoke to us today on the subject of the map of hope, conservation for the real world. The next Westminster Town Hall Forum will be held Thursday, May 9th. Our speaker will be Sandra Steingraber. She will speak to us on having faith, an ecologist's journey to motherhood. I hope you will join us on Thursday, May 9th in two weeks. Thank you, Steve.